You're listening to the Bob Duco Show, fearlessly defending the faith with you every day. Always enjoy having Dr. Randall Rouser on the show. He is a theologian, professor of historical theology at Taylor Seminary in Edmonton, Canada. He's author of many books, including this one we're going to talk about now. What's so confusing about grace? Uh, it's from Two Cup Press Publishing. Dr. Randall Rouser joins us now. Randall, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us today. Well, you know, Bob, it's always a pleasure to be on, so thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, first, when we talk about grace, this this can be kind of a confusing word because on the surface it seems like, well, this is simple. We're not saved by our own efforts, by our own works, but by grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What's so complicating? But then you start looking at all the ins and outs of life and the struggles and living in a sin-filled world and battling the flesh and everything else. People start getting confused and go, well, wait a minute, how do I even understand grace? So first, help us in a general macro sense. How do we properly define grace? What does it mean? Well, I think that you offered a, a good synopsis right there. Grace is classically defined as unmerited favor. So it's something that a person didn't earn that is given to them. Like I had a student once, he wanted a, an extension on a paper I teach at a seminary. And I said, I'm not going to give you that extension. And he says, can't you show some grace? <laughs> and he was really angry. And now that suggested he, did, he thought he merited it, that he, I should have given him that extension. But if it's really grace, then it's unmerited. And of course, the ultimate example of that is God sending his son Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The essence of it is simple. But as you say, when you apply that to the messiness of life, to one person, God acting in the life of that person, things can get complicated pretty quickly. Right. You know, it's an interesting point that you make about the person who said, well, hey, can't you show me some grace? I mean, it is so common today especially for Christians, I hate to say it, but to kind of assume that they're going to be okay with God because after all, well, you know, I'm a good person. I've done more good things than bad things. And so therefore, uh, shouldn't God show me grace? And it's like people don't even realize you're actually contradicting the concept of what grace is. It's kind of an oxymoron to say, can you show me grace since I've been a good person overall? They don't really recognize that you're not asking for grace then. You're asking for some kind of merit-based system, and I just thank the Lord that we're not on one. Yeah, it's a constant temptation, of course. There, there's, there's this old saying that I think is a brilliant reminder. It says, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's what grace is. It's not we're kind of working our way into God's good graces, but rather God has already acted definitively in Jesus. And it's the challenge is for us to live into that reality. Okay, so let's then, Randall, kind of wade into the, the confusing weeds of life that that sometimes confuse us as far as what grace means. Uh, I, I mean, I think of, we all, of course, know 1 Corinthians 6, 9, okay? Do not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither will, then it goes through the long list, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, uh, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, you know, swindlers, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we go, 
Oh, no. Is this a laundry list of things that if you're ever guilty of, that's it, it's undone? No. It's a ton about people that live this way. Well, okay, well, then you got the, the guy that's addicted to porn. This goes, oh, boy, this is a real struggle for me, and I battle off and on. I fall off and on the wagon or alcoholism or whatever. And so does that mean I'm, quote, unquote, living this way, and therefore I'm not under grace? I won't inherit the kingdom of God. How do we, Randall, properly understand sin, the flesh, temptation, and all of those issues in life in context, in the context of grace, so we don't end up in one extreme of hyper grace or the other extreme. Uh, how, how do we properly contextualize all of this? Yeah, I think that that's a challenge. I mean, it, it's a great way that you've set up the issue. And I think what it raises is that there is an inherent tension. On the one hand, I like the way that you described it, that what is being described in those passages is something like um, a habituated uh, behavior, something that you continue to do and that you're not repentant about it. And people who are like that are going to end up separating themselves from God because they're putting up roadblocks. Um, the challenge is then for each one of us to look at our own lives and to make sure that, that we're not falling into those habituated patterns of rebellion. I like the way that you talked a moment ago about anger, because I think anger against God is one of those realities that we're going to experience from time to time. And if you try to suppress it, you're not being real with yourself. At the same time, you have to be careful that you don't fall into what you described as this pattern of not wanting to interact with God anymore, of, of not wanting to pray to Him, not wanting to talk to Him. I'd like to put it like this. Anybody who is concerned about their salvation, that is a sign of the health of their salvation. It's like pain in the body. It's people who think, I'm fine, I don't have anything to worry about. Those are the people that I start to worry about. Right, that's such a great point, because I can't tell you how many people I've said that to, that when they say, I so struggle with this besetting sin, or this temptation, or this kind of whatever, and I've done everything, and I've prayed, and I've fasted, and I've rebuked the devil, and you name it, and, and I fall back into it and I struggle and sometimes I wonder am I even really saved and, and I've said to them you know the mere fact that you have this tension the mere fact that you grapple with this is usually a really good sign because of the people that need to be nervous are the ones who say oh sure I'm fine with God I mean I'll love it with you Randall I you know I, I think all of us have those moments where it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm such a loser. I'm such a slacker. I'm, what is my problem? You know, you know, please don't give up on me. And it's like, and it's a like, wait a minute here. I know logically he's not given up on us, but it feels that way sometimes because we see our own shortcomings. So that tension is actually something you want to make sure that you never lose. Yes, that's exactly where God wants us to be is to, like the thief on the cross, to throw ourselves at his mercy and just to recognize, I mean, we don't deserve this. And we continue to need that grace day by day and to recognize we will probably always wrestle with certain things. I mean, I love the um, Pilgrim's Progress. This one of the greatest books in the history of the church. And the thing about Pilgrim's Progress, if you read the book, is it's filled with things like the castle of Doubting, the Doubting Castle and the slew of Despond and all of these dark moments. And sometimes we like to present the Christian life as victorious Christian living. Uh, and it's great when we get that. But there's also a whole lot of doubting. There's a whole lot of pain and struggle. Right. You know, when you say throwing ourselves on on his mercy, 
what this reminds me of, and it's something that's so difficult for believers to, to, to grasp, to fully understand, but it's about him, it's not about us. We, but we make so many things about us. We want our salvation to be based on us. We want God's job to be to serve us somehow. And when we go before the Lord and we're completely broken and we say, I have, I, I have nothing, I, all I can do is depend on your mercy and your grace, uh, there's nothing left for us to get glory in. It's it's him getting all of the glory, and that's the way that it's supposed to be. But you know this, Randall, our society has become more and more narcissistic. The church has taken on the flavor of societal narcissism, and so everything is about us. Everything centers around us, including our walk with the Lord. It's like, wow, we got to get that turned around. Yes. Um, how do we live? This is one of the great challenges of the Christian life. How do we live into thankfulness? Uh, because... Even if our life is terrible by any human standard, uh, as you mentioned beautifully before with, with your daughter, we've got a glory to look forward to. And some of us arrive at the party at different times. But that changes the context. If we could recognize that we are, this is a preparation for eternity, for something that we don't deserve, then that could really begin to transform the things that we experience in this life. Right, so true. Hang on just a moment. We'll pick it up from there in a couple of minutes, spend our last few minutes together. No more with Dr. Randall Rouser, the book, folks. What's so confusing about grace? You're listening to The Bob Duco Show. You're listening to The Bob Duco Show. Spending our last few minutes with Professor of Historical Theology, Dr. Randall Rouser, uh, author of a lot of books. We're talking about this one, What's So Confusing About Grace. By the way, folks, his uh, website, randallrouser.com. Uh, Randall, we talked about sin and the flesh and understanding grace in the context of sin and struggles and temptations and failings and all that uh, kind of stuff. What about the issue of theology? You know, this can be... This can be difficult because you have a whole lot of different views that people have about various areas of doctrine. You get a bunch of Christians in the room, a bunch of theologians in the room, and there's going to be doctrinal differences and different areas of interpreting Scripture uh, that they have. But for the most part, we tend to recognize there's some key core basic tenets of faith that we ought to be, uh, all be in agreement on. But we also recognize you can have heretical teachings that I would argue put us outside of Christendom. There are cult-like uh, teachings. There are false Jesus, counterfeit Christianities that are taught. If somebody's teaching a, a different Jesus, it's, we'll say is not the sole means of salvation. I believe in Jesus, but he's not really Savior. He's not really God, didn't really die for our sins. Well, okay, that's not believing in uh, in Jesus, and it's a different Jesus. Uh, Paul warned us about this in Galatians 1 and 2 Corinthians uh, 11 about false gospels, uh, deceitful workmen, uh, people preaching a different Jesus. So how do we handle the issues of doctrinal accuracy so that we can understand how much variability is there in various interpretations of Scripture to where it crosses the line over into this is now a counterfeit, non-biblical Jesus and you're now outside of grace? Yeah, good question. 
and I'll tell you, you're you're not going easy on me. You're you're going <laughs> no, all you, the good you didn't think here. this was going to be you didn't think this was going to be the kiddie pool now, did you? <laughs> no, no, no. I come prepared. Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, I guess the, the first thing I would say is we need to distinguish between two different things, and one is. Uh, boundaries of the church, and the other is boundaries of salvation. So a person might hold a belief that we would consider heretical that would put them outside of the boundaries of the church. Whether or not that means they're, they go to hell is a question I would think primarily, well, ultimately, for God to sort out. But we can certainly need to protect and establish the boundaries of Christian identity. Um, and so when it comes to all these kinds of beliefs, I think we're in a situation that it's kind of like when you're moving on ice. Uh, let's say in springtime, the further you go out from shore, the thinner the ice is, the less certain you are with the steps you take. So, But when you're right by the shoreline, the ice is very thick and you're very sure. And I think when it comes to Christian beliefs, so we have certain things that are by the shoreline, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Incarnation and the Atonement of Jesus, things like that, we can be sure that this is something we have to stand on. The further you move out from there, we get into debating different views of the millennium at the end of time, different views of the resurrection body. We're further out now, and there's more room for debate. I think so that's the thing that I'd want to keep in mind, that when you have, let's say, a Mormon is going to say they believe in Jesus, but they're going to disagree with some fundamental issues about what Christians say Jesus is, that's right at the shoreline, and, and I would say that's something on which I'm pretty firm. The further I move out, the less certain I would be. Right. Well, I, Mormonism is a great example of that. I, I Let me share with you my thoughts on this, and then I, you can either call me a heretic, and if you don't, then maybe some of my uh, listeners will. Uh, when somebody asks me, uh, can a Mormon be saved? Uh, I tend to I tend to say well that depends I need to know on the I need to know the Mormon and I need to know some more information about that individual and here's why I say that I mean look I have an apologetic series I put out and we put do a lot of apologetics on this show and a lot of people have my top 10 proofs apologetic CDs and by the way one of them is top 10 proofs Mormonism is a false religion and, and I do believe it is and I do consider it a cult, if you will, uh, and Mormon doctrine is not biblical, and it is a different Jesus, so I have no problem with that. However, if you have someone who has accepted the Lord, and they're a baby Christian, they don't know anything about anything, okay, but who they happen to accept Jesus Christ as and give their life over to him happens to be, we'll say, among a group of Mormon people. This person is, they're not knowledgeable of doctrines or thoughts. Right now, they're in a simplistic place like the thief on the cross. I, I, all I know is I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, and they are understanding him at that moment to be the Savior of mankind and washing them clean of their sins. Uh, they don't know anything about uh, all these multiple gods and how God, uh, the, the, the Father, is really a former Mormon human being who spiritually evolved to this status. and They don't know all of those Mormon heretical doctrines yet. They're in the simplicity phase of having accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and asking him to remember them in paradise. So I don't want to say, well, nope, uh, the seed that was planted was a, was a corrupt seed from a Mormon, therefore you're accepting of Jesus, a thief on the cross kind of scenario doesn't apply. I think that that person very well could be saved but if somebody is in a Mor the Mormon church and they're an elder or something and they're learning the heretical doctrines and they're now consciously embracing 
a Jesus contrary to Scripture, then that's when I'm going to say they're no longer on the shore. They're out in the water above their head, and they're in trouble. And so it, it can be a really tough situation here, but that's how I tend to look at situations like this, like Mormonism or other types of religions like that. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable analysis. And I would just say that the same thing applies to Christians. So when I was five years old is when I prayed a sinner's prayer, and I asked Jesus to be my friend, and I said, I don't want to be friends with the devil. And when I think back to the theology, the understanding of God that went into that prayer, I tell you, it was whatever it was, it was pretty thin. There, there wasn't any developed understanding of the Incarnation, certainly not of the Trinity. Right. Those things came a lot later. So I think that God meets us where we're at, but yes, the more we know, the more responsible we are, and potentially if we're getting things wrong, the more culpable or guilty we could be. Uh, so I think that that is something that applies to that Mormon. It also applies to the Christian. Uh, and I think that one thing, then, is it's important to, to teach correct doctrine, like mm-hmm. you aim to do, to, to get the right beliefs out there and help people better understand that which they believe in. And also, I would like to say to rest in the mercy and judgment of God, that we don't have to sort these things out, that we don't have to say, when is the point that that person is responsible for their error? We can let God worry about that. We can simply worry about establishing correct doctrine within the community. Let me in our last, we have just about a minute left. Is there a way, Randall, that we can kind of bring this back full circle to uh, simplify it as much as possible? Because I, I know that there are people listening that are experiencing the tension that we talked about before, uh, whether it's the struggles I have in the flesh or in my life or wondering, am I right about this? Am I wrong about this? You know, the Baptist who's going, do I need to be uh, believing in the gifts of the Spirit today? The Pentecostal who's going, is it true that this is maybe uh, not for today? And so am I being demonically influenced somehow? And oh no, did I just blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And oh no, now can that not be undone? And I mean, for the people that are grappling through the entire inventory of, am I wrong enough here that I'm somehow outside of grace? What can you say to kind of simplify it and maybe put people at ease that need to be at ease, but challenge people that should not? I would, I would again come back to that point we, we already addressed, that the people who are struggling, that is a sign that, that they are where God wants them to be, that they have those questions, that this should be an expectation that you have some struggle, that, that you are questioning where I am. And I would turn people as well to the thief on the cross who simply said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have a lot of good works to his name. He didn't have all his correct theological T's crossed and his I's dotted. But Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. For the person who simply throws themselves at the mercy on the cross, that is the most important thing they need to know. Right, which, by the way, is that much more of a reminder when you think about the uh, the workers in the field and the, 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 the people at the end of the evening getting the same reward and, oh, that seems so unfair. And the person who's lived a horrible, sinful, even evil life their entire life and on their deathbed accepts Jesus Christ like the thief on the cross and they go to the very same heaven that 
Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or whatever. There's this sense of that seems unjust. Well, that tells us that we're looking at uh, we're looking this in a self-centered way and in a, not in a God-glorifying way, in a grace-filled way. If we truly understand grace and we truly understand it's about him and his mercy and his grace, then suddenly it makes sense. The thief on the cross and even the serial killer who accepts the Lord uh, on his deathbed. We've got about 20 seconds left. I'll give you the final word. Uh, yeah, I think that's beautifully stated. And I'll tell you, that that parable always got under my skin because I always think of myself as a guy working at 9 a.m. But probably I'm just as likely the guy that was picked up at 5 p.m. and is benefiting from God's grace. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, folks. Again, the book is entitled What's So Confusing About Grace? It's from Two Cup, Two Cup Press Publishing. Go to Randall's website at randallrouser.com. And Dr. Randall Rouser. Randall, it's always great having you on. I appreciate you being with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Blessings. Yeah, you bet. Take care. You're listening to The Bob Duco Show.